listening to the best of Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kuhn. Be sure to catch our show live every Sunday on 1370 AM Austin. For information, archives, and upcoming presentations, visit our website at www.livingwealthyradio.com. Welcome to Living Wealthy Radio with your host, Teresa Kuhn. Good afternoon. You're listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard every Sunday at noon here on Talk Radio, 1370 AM, streaming live at talk1370.com. I'm Teresa Kuhn, helping you live wealthier. Resources are available for you at livingwealthyradio.com. Have you noticed a dramatic increase in health problems among our youth in recent years? Do you ever wonder what you can do to protect your children or grandchildren? Well, for starters, I think it's time to acknowledge that there is a real problem here in the United States where we are so proud of the fact that our medical system is so advanced compared to other countries. Well, we have the second highest infant mortality rate in the developed world. That's correct, the second highest infant mortality rate. In 2010, the Center for Disease Control announced that 1 in 110 children now have autism. Approximately 13% of our children have developmental disabilities, and food allergies and childhood obesity is skyrocketing. Why is this? What is going on? If the healthcare system and pharmaceuticals in this country is so great. Why are our children suffering and dying at an increasingly alarming rate? Most importantly, what steps can we take to turn this around and protect our children? Our guest today, Dr. Renee Taco-Hunter, is a chiropractor, physician, national speaker, and expert on methods to help children and adults recover from chronic illness. Dr. Your Educational DVD, The Explosion of Childhood Illness Explained, I think is a must-see for all parents and grandparents and physicians and medical providers out there. Thank you for joining our show today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, absolutely. So what caused you to have an interest and a specialty in childhood chronic illness? Well, that's a great question. Uh, Often when people meet me, they automatically assume that I must have a family member, maybe a sibling or a child that's been affected by autism or vaccine injury. But actually, I'm so blessed uh, that that isn't the case. I have a really healthy family. Um, But it's really my mother, Mary Toko, whose work kind of paved the way for everything that I'm doing. I guess over um, my childhood and growing up, her passion was just contagious. Um, She's been an incredible role model, but really taught me that a life worth living is always, you know, it always involves a greater purpose than just worrying about yourself. And and so, you know, there are a lot of great causes to be involved in in life, but um, as I've grown up and learned more and more about kind of the barbaric way that we address health care in this country, I knew that I had to follow in my mother's footsteps. And uh, being involved with health care, I see adults a lot of times make maybe uneducated, foolish health care choices that do cause them a lot of pain and suffering. But what really breaks my heart is when um, parents make uneducated decisions, you know, for an infant, a baby, a defenseless person in our society, and then it often, you know, can result in anything from death to, as we've mentioned, chronic illness like autism, allergies, asthma. 
And so that is kind of what got me involved in, in this whole field. Well, you mentioned barbaric methods. Those are fighting words. You want to explain <laughs> that a little bit? Well, well, really, if you think about it, as you so well mentioned in the introduction, you know, our country is very proud. We have the most advanced healthcare society. We spend more in our country on healthcare um, than some uh, countries spend in their entire economy. Um, we have such a structured, proud way that we do healthcare in this country. And when you look at the outcomes, it's absolutely devastating. As you mentioned, we have infants dying at an alarming rate. Um, we have a, an adult population. That, that is absolutely sick, disabled, all of these chronic conditions that people are living with. Um, we have autism now affecting a dramatic percentage. In fact, just this year, the CDC came out with updated statistics saying that one in 68 children is affected by autism. And so um, when you start looking at the things that we do from a moment, uh, you know, that a, that a woman conceives and throughout pregnancy and then from the moment that the baby takes his first breath, and when you look at all of the medical intervention, all of the pharmaceuticals, uh, everything that we do, and then the outcome, really the more that you look at it, the more that I've come to realize that it is barbaric. So where where are we going wrong as a country? Uh, is it a complete reliance on the mainstream medical community and system to keep us healthy? Is our focus not on preventing illness? Is it the pharmaceutical industry? Like, where do we point the finger? Because really, it's crazy that we, it's so incongruent that we walk around thinking we're in the greatest country in the world and we have the greatest health care system in the world, and we're either fat or have all sorts of allergies and chronic illnesses, and from our babies to our children to our senior citizens, um, we take more medication than anyone else in the world, and we're unhealthy. Where are we going wrong? Well, ultimately, it's very unfortunate that in our country, for example, the pharmaceuticals are allowed to advertise like they do. In other countries, it's considered completely unethical for pharmaceutical companies, you know, to be on the television uh, across every uh, media system uh, promoting drugs and pharmaceuticals. They say one out of every three commercials is pharmaceutically funded. And so it's unfortunate. And um, But, however, I really think that the problem is that, um, you know, people, when they're preparing to have a child, for example, they spend far more time researching what uh, car seat <laughs> to get their baby than any of these important health care decisions that they're going to have to make. It's almost as if America has gone blind to the fact that we cannot just rely on what pharmaceuticals tell us, companies tell us on TV or, or sadly, even what our government is telling us. And so I, I really believe that it's just time, and I believe the shift is taking place as well in our country, more, where more and more people realize that we have to take responsibility for our own health. Uh, you have to research. You have to become educated. Um, and health is really the most important thing to be educated about. Um, so I really think it comes down to, you know, who is your source? And sadly, uh, when it comes to certainly raising children and vaccines and antibiotics and so forth, if you're lying on the government and pharmaceutical companies who mandate and profit billions of dollars uh, from all of these interventions, it's going to probably be the biggest mistake of your life or your child's life. And we have so many, you know, examples of this over and over again. You've mentioned vaccines. 
You know, for 20 years, the federal government has publicly denied a vaccine autism link, while at the same time, its vaccine injury compensation program has been awarding damages for vaccine injury to children with brain damage, seizures, and autism. And this is something that just recently came out in the past couple of years. And so really, time and time again, if people have their eyes open, they realize that uh, what's going on behind the scenes is not what we see on, on TV, you know, in the evening news. So, again, there's an incongruency, right? So, publicly, they say there's no link and vaccines are safe, but behind the scenes, um, there is a, um, there have been billions, I think, paid out to families who have injured children from vaccines. Absolutely, and there have been thousands of cases just completely dismissed for a family to actually go to vaccine court um, against, you know, the, the 17 attorneys that, that are working there uh, to defend the pharmaceutical companies and, and, and the government. For a family to go and uh, prove any injury, I mean, it takes almost an act of God. So to consider that millions and billions have been awarded, um, it's alarming. Vaccines are absolutely not as safe as we hear. But, you know, even right now as we speak, you know, there's uh, more and more information coming out about the big trouble that Merck is in. They've had three different, uh, like, whistleblower lawsuits come out. Um, you know, the first one uh, were by uh, two former Merck scientists saying that Merck fraudulently misled the government and omitted, concealed, and adulterated material information regarding the efficacy of mumps vaccination. Um, and then most recently, you know, uh, uh, Dr. William Thompson, who is a senior CDC scientist, came out and said that full 10 years ago in 2004, he was involved with uh, research uh, for the CDC involving the MMR vaccine. And uh, he's provided plentiful documentation that the CDC actually was involved in a cover-up of data that pointed to high rates of autism in African-American boys who were vaccinated with the MMR vaccine. And so time and time again, we, it just, it's proven to us that the CDC and the pharmaceutical companies cannot be trusted to be honest um, and ethical when it comes to, to vaccines in particular. So why is that? I've had many guests talk about this, uh, speak about this topic on Living Wealthy Radio, and I know even though this is something I've researched for, for decades now, it still seems unbelievable that the government that's supposed to protect us, right, is in bed with the pharmaceutical companies that are putting out products that injure our children. It is unbelievable, and I wish that I had some, some explanation that would make everybody feel at peace about living in this great country, but, you know, there are other countries, such as Japan, that do not have the autism crisis brewing like we have here. There are other countries that do things a lot differently, and if our country was really, really concerned about autism, if we had all treated it like the crisis that it is, and not just autism, but allergies, asthma, diabetes, obesity, all these other things, um, you know, we could look to other countries who are doing much better than we are, uh, but what you're going to find in those other countries is that pharmaceutical companies um, don't rule the world like they do here. And so what I would encourage our listeners to, to Google is um, Vaccine Court, National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. Um, if, you, if somebody was to, to Google that, they're going to see that what we're saying is not, you know, fantastic. It's not, um, you know, too weird or, or, too, or not true, right? There is it's actually, not a conspiracy theory, that's for sure. <laughs> it's not a conspiracy theory. It is absolutely, there's a special court, it's called vaccine court, for those who have claims against these pharmaceutical 
companies, and actually the court has attorneys that defend the pharmaceutical industry. And for some reason, the CDC recently, uh, you know, there was a whistleblower that showed that they were in bed with the pharmaceutical companies, um, protecting them from disseminating information about a study that showed that uh, the, the study showed it was harmful to these babies, the, the vaccines, and there was a link between the autism and the vaccine, right? Absolutely. And really, this is not the first time that that research has shown that the link exists between vaccines and autism. You know, back in September of 2009 in uh, the respected journals, Journal Annals of Epidemiology, it was shown that giving the hepatitis B vaccine to newborn baby boys more than tripled the rate of autism in that population. There have been study after study really showing uh, the link between vaccines or components in vaccines such as thimerosal and aluminum. The link has been substantiated, proving that these toxins in, in the vaccines are directly linked to autism, neurological damage. Um, you know, other studies have substantiated the link between vaccines and asthma, diabetes, and the list goes on and on. So let's and really one component of the vaccines, like the marisol, which is mercury. Yes. There is so much information out there that says mercury is, is a poison. How can they defend actually injecting the marisol or mercury into a baby? You know, it's really indefendable, <laughs> and I believe that that's the way that anybody who's actually researched this topic feels. There's just so much misinformation. But it was back in 1948 that we first discovered that thimerosal, which was developed by Eli Lilly back then, uh, they were mandated to uh, label it as a poison. Um, you know, there are a lot of even pediatricians who will tell parents that thimerosal is safe. And when you understand where all of this research comes from, uh, it was from a man named Paul Thorson. He's um, not a research scientist or a toxicologist. Um, he's actually a psychiatrist. He was responsible for a majority of the thimerosal studies that claimed to show thimerosal safety. And this man was hired by the CDC. They actually paid Thorson and his research staff millions of dollars to churn out all these research papers, uh, many of them ensuring the public that, you know, that vaccines are totally safe. Well, this man in, in 2010 was indicted on fraud charges for falsifying documents, and he also um, accepted uh, salaries from different universities that made his work unethical. And then he actually vanished with over $2 million in taxpayer dollars uh, that he was supposed to spend on research that our CDC had given to him. This here, if I was listening and I hadn't heard of this story, this seems outrageous. This seems like a conspiracy theory, but you can actually go to the website of the um, Office of the Inspector General and look and find Paul Thorson on uh, the most wanted list. And this man is, you know, hiding out in another country <laughs> until we decide what to do with him. But this is the man that basically provided the claim for the CDC that thimerosal is safe. He's a convicted felon. You would think that that would put into question all of the work that he's ever done, especially since it's totally contradictory to a body of evidence and even common sense dictating that thimerosal, which is 50% ethyl mercury, uh, would cause neurological damage. And so, you know, that's ingredients in, in the vaccine. So, you know, there's information out there that says that the thimerosals are no longer, or um, I think the right. CDC or the FDA said that they, you know, you didn't need to use thimerosal and they were removing it from the vaccines. And, of course, it's still in there today. Um, it what is. about the other you know, ingredients? Yeah, and that's a good point. People don't realize that there's a full load of um, thimerosal in, for example, the flu vaccines. Uh, but another extremely uh, controversial um, adjuvant that's being used is aluminum. 
And again, aluminum has been a known, you know, known problem uh, for for a long time now. Um, even if you look in um, research uh, published by our government, published by the uh, pediatric groups, you'll find that aluminum is a known neurotoxin and can cause lots of problems in the body. Um, in fact, let's see, aluminum, this is, uh, let's see, a quote from the Medical Research Council of Childhood Nutrition Research. This is out of the U.K., but um, and published, again, in Pediatrics, the journal Pediatrics in 2009. Aluminum is a known neurotoxin. It can impair short-term bone health and bone size, resulting in potential risk factors for later osteoporosis and hip fractures. Our children are being injected with aluminum starting day one in the hospital. The first day of life, they're getting injected with the hepatitis B vaccine, which has 250 micrograms of aluminum. And uh, by the time they're 18 months, they're getting almost 5,000 micrograms of aluminum when uh, the, the toxic level for an infant is 20 micrograms. And so it's just... It's just absolutely alarming what we're injecting into our children uh, in complete, you know, contradiction to what research says about what is safe. And how can we be surprised that so many children are so sick and have developmental delays and all these chronic illnesses? And, and the question I always go back to is why? Why? In the name of money? I mean, it can't just be about money. Don't these pharmaceutical companies have other ingredients that they can put into the vaccines for, um, you know, they say that thimerosal is, is necessary because of um, it's a preservative and it's an antifungal and antibacteria. Don't they have other uh, ingredients that they can use instead of these toxic metals? Uh, you know, this is kind of off topic, but, you know, based on my research, I really believe that it has less to do really with, with which toxin they're choosing to use. You know, they use aluminum to stimulate the immune system. The more that you look at the issue, the more that you find out that vaccines don't even do what they're intended to do. They don't work. You know, the the largest outbreaks occur in highly vaccinated populations. Research is coming out all the time showing that vaccines are not only not, uh, not effective, but they actually pose greater health risks. Um, in fact, in uh, 2014, um, the official journal of the United States National Academy of Sciences came out and said that acellular pertussis vaccines uh, can protect the individual against the disease, but they fail to prevent infection and transmission. They actually use this vaccine on infant bamboos, and they found that they readily transmitted the diseases to other contacts. Um, recently, in the Oxford Journal, a study came out showing that, and this was basically the, the, the only double-blind placebo-controlled influenza vaccine study that's ever been done, but they show that uh, getting the flu shot increases the risk by over four times that a person who receives it will contract and potentially spread one or more non-influenza respiratory viruses, some which can be serious and, and cause morbid infections in humans. Um, study after study just shows that vaccines don't work, they're not effective, they actually cause, uh, you know, transmission and spread of these diseases, um, and so... I really believe that it's a, it's a scary thought for people in our society, but at some point the whole program is going to have to fall because we just can't keep going on this way. Uh, and 
We also, I think, as a society, need to do our independent research and thank God for the Internet and the amount of information that's out there. I think anybody who has an open mind to the information uh, will certainly start doubting what the mainstream medical pharmaceutical community, CDC, FDA, says is, uh, is safe. There's just no way you can look at the data and look at the people that have come out um, with this information and say, you know, I wholeheartedly believe what the government is telling me or what the pharmaceutical industry is telling me, and I'm going to submit my, my child to to those injections or, or, or themselves, right? Um, you know, you've got to think, why do they give away flu shots at the, at the drugstores, right? Why is there such a campaign for, you know, free flu shots or get a, get a $25 credit for getting a flu shot? You know, the, there's this whole business around these vaccines, and I don't understand the intent. I've personally uh, read different um, ideas as to what the intent is and what, what the objective is. Um, I'd like to think it's just simply money, um, but I, you know, it could be more nefarious than that. But we've got to take control and we've got to do our own research and not just listen to what, what the mainstream line is because it's just scary. It's very, very scary. And we haven't even touched on a lot of the other ingredients that are in these vaccines. And I think um, if people were to really understand what's going into these vaccines, they would be just horrified and totally grossed out. Vaccines are one issue, but you talk about a couple other um, issues that you believe is really um, contributing to the increase in health problems in our youth. Um, Food allergies, childhood obesity, um, the health care system. When we get back from our break, Dr. Hunter will go into uh, a couple other of those issues. And um, this is Teresa Kim with Living Wealthy Radio. We'll be right back. Living Wealthy Radio. Visit Teresa's team online at livingwealthyradio.com, 1-800-382-0830 now. Call 1-800-382-0830. Welcome back, Austin, to Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kuhn. If you're just now joining us, we are speaking with chiropractic physician Dr. Renee Taco Hunter about the health crisis among our children and what we can do to help them. So, Doctor, we talked about vaccines, and I would encourage all our listeners to do their own research. Don't take anything what we say, right, um, on face value. Do your own research, and there's so much great information out there now. Um, but in your DVD, you talk about four, four major assaults to pediatric health, and vaccines are just one of them. Um, but you also mentioned birthing interventions and antibiotics and also environmental and dietary toxins. Let's talk about birthing interventions for one. Um, how are C-sections detrimental to pediatric health? Well, gosh, they're actually detrimental not only to pediatric health, but also to mother's health as well. And I think a lot of times the problem that we have with childbirth in this country is that um, interventions have just become so common. It's like women almost expect that if they're going to have a baby, that means that they're going to 
pick the day that their baby should come and go in and get induced and, and then get an epidural. And the problem is that so commonly when you start on this cascade of interventions, one leads to the next until it kind of spirals out of control. Um, just to give you an example, in Japan and Europe, over 70% of women uh, uh, give childbirth naturally, assisted by a midwife. Here in the USA, that number is less than 8%. So in our country, childbirth has become a total medical procedure in which you have to go to a hospital. And a lot of women believe that you have to get all of these interventions when really childbirth has been occurring for thousands of years. And it's been shown that when healthy women are assisted properly, 95% can give birth vaginally with little or no intervention. But, of course, here all of these interventions have just spun out of control. And very commonly it is uh, the 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 fact that women often get induced and then a lot of women do choose to get an epidural and, and often, you know, women are never educated about the risks that each one of these interventions come with. But often all these interventions lead ultimately to a C-section. And, um, of course, the C-section is not a minor surgery. It's actually a major abdominal surgery. And, of course, when it's necessary, it can be a life-saving tool for both mom and child. But just to give you an idea, according to the World Health Organization, they say that no region in the world is justified in having a C-section rate greater than 10 to 15%. And even back in 2007, the C-section rate in the U.S. reached 32%. Uh, there are some hospitals in our country that have a 40 to 45% C-section rate. And it's just absolutely, absolutely astounding. Um, and sadly, when babies are delivered by C-section, um, it actually triples the rate of infant mortality. And depending on which study you look at, it increases the risk for mom to die by a factor of two to four times. Oh and that's goodness. just kind of the tip of the iceberg. Wow. I had no idea. So just to review, the in, in any given country, they say shouldn't be more than 15% of all births by C-section. And in this country, it's double that. And in some hospitals, almost triple that number. Absolutely. Okay, let's talk about antibiotics. Well, you know, this is another intervention that is used so commonly. It's unbelievable. Uh, very often in my practice, I will, you know, see children that by the age of five maybe have been on 15 to 20 rounds of antibiotics. Oh. Parents just have absolutely no idea of the consequence of this in the body. Um, but actually, and, and so it kind of just starts with a basic understanding of physiology. The average human body has about 10 trillion uh, bacterial cells in the gastrointestinal tract. And it's unbelievable when you realize that a healthy adult, there should actually be 10 times more bacterial cells than human cells. But what happens to these bacteria in our gastrointestinal tract, which is the home to at least 70 to 80% of our immune system, is actually absolutely crucial uh, to the rest of our health. Um, some scientists say that the activity of the bacteria in our gut is that of a virtual organ because the bacteria doesn't only aid in digestion, but it trains our immune system to respond only to pathogens. It produces, they produce vitamins for the host, especially uh, B vitamins. They produce hormones to direct the host where to store fats. And of course, if you look at the epidemic of obesity, research has shown a correlation between gut health and the bacteria in our gut and obesity. 
Um, they detoxify for us. They protect against disease. They regulate fats, triglycerides, cholesterol. They balance the Th1 and the Th2 arms of the immune system, which is a major, major point. Uh, these bacteria in our gastrointestinal tract also help our body to absorb nutrients like calcium, magnesium, and iron. Well, this is the problem that a lot of people don't realize. Research shows that each or a dose of oral antibiotics administered, and this was actually published in the Journal of Infection and Immunity. When oral antibiotics are administered, the total population of bacteria in the body, including the beneficial bacteria, is reduced by a factor of a 1,000. So antibiotics don't just go in and, and kill the bad bugs. They, they take out your good bacteria and good flora as well. And so they really kill more than just the infection. And when you distort the gastrointestinal tract in this manner, you leave the door wide open for pathogenic bacteria and other microorganisms like yeast and fungus to, to take over and multiply. And unfortunately, this has happened to a large degree. Um, in, our, in our youth, and antibiotic usage has not only been linked to uh, obesity, as I mentioned earlier, but also allergies and asthma and even autism. And so, you know, when, when doctors just want to give out antibiotics for every little minor illness, it really is causing a huge disadvantage for that child. So there's a saying that says that the health begins with the gut. Absolutely. Which sounds, everything that you just said, right, summarized, health begins in the yeah. gut. And if you mess with the gut, which antibiotics do, then you're basically messing up with the whole, your whole health system. Absolutely. The gut affects the immune system. It affects neurology. It affects your neurotransmitter levels. Uh, the research just surrounding this one topic is so vast and dense, but, uh, but parents just need to know that antibiotics should only be used in absolute life-threatening conditions, which, just to let you know, in my whole lifetime, I'm the oldest of five kids, and in my children's lifetime, I've never seen that scenario happen in my own family. When you actually give the human body a chance to and support it, you know, there are many things that we can use to fight infection, like vitamin C, vitamin D, probiotics, um, chiropractic adjustments. It's amazing what the human body can do. And uh, unfortunately, parents a lot of times don't give their child the chance to actually uh, strengthen their immune system by overcoming these little challenges and getting stronger. Well, I remember when my son was little and he'd have a fever. Uh, you know, it's so alarming to see your child sick that, of course, it's hard not to go to the doctor and not to listen to their advice, especially when you've got the sick child. And uh, doing something different than what your doctor is saying, um, it's, it's very, very difficult. And so what I did was I had a support system of what's considered alternative therapist, right, like a chiropractor, which in my opinion is not alternative. The mainstream medicine is alternative because it's only been around for over 100 years. But going, having a support system um, and having um, another track to run on besides the antibiotic track. Because if, if all you know is the medical system and all, you know, all your doctor tells you to do is take the antibiotic and you have nothing else to support that, then you're in a terrible place, right? Absolutely. It's so important to have a support system and also to understand how the human body is supposed to function. As you mentioned just a moment ago, a fever a lot of times really alarms parents. And my message to parents would be that if you understand the purpose of a fever, it's like the number one uh, fighting tool that the immune system has to kill infection. And so there are, do, there are some risks associated with fever, especially if the child becomes dehydrated. Um, but 
But really, if you understand the purpose of a fever and if you keep the child safe while they're having a fever, that is the number one quickest way to actually help them overcome whatever it is that their you know, immune system's working against. Right, right. And, and again, I think the importance of having a team uh, where when your child does get sick, you've got a place to go that can give you that support and that understanding of the fever is supposed to be there. That's how, you know, infection and the immune system fights infection. Um, it's just, as a parent, I know it's the scariest thing in the world. Uh, yeah, and you're, you're exactly right. The support system is every, every, you know, everything because a lot of times it is scary. And then often when parents become afraid, um, and that's when they're, they sometimes make decisions that are irrational. I mean, truth be told, I've even called my mom a few times. <laughs> my oldest is nine, and there have been a few things that I've called her for, and it really helps to uh, have somebody there who has experience and who has seen children go through some things. But just to give you an example, you know, when children have a fever, so commonly, of course, they're told by their pediatrician, uh, the parents told to give their child Tylenol. And Tylenol is an, a huge risk factor for children. It's unbelievable. It's even been directly linked to autism. Um, it's been directly linked to asthma and eczema as well. And so acetaminophen um, toxicity is actually, it's the foremost ca- cause of acute liver failure in the Western world, and it accounts for the most drug overdoses in the United States, the U.K., Australia, and New Zealand. And there was uh, research that came out in 2008 showing that they did a study where they looked at children who received uh, the MMR vaccine and Tylenol on the same day, and they found that the children who received the Tylenol as well as the vaccine had a six times greater chance for developing autism. Mm. And again, you know, we're not here to vilify doctors, medical doctors. I can tell you my father is a medical doctor. It's, it's not, you know, there are many, many doctors who, of course, want to do the right thing and only want the best for their, their patients. But I think it's more about taking control, having this information, right, being armed with information and having a support team that questions what mainstream medicine is saying because the numbers and the statistics are there. We started the show by saying in the United States, we have the second highest infant mortality rate in the, in the developed world. There's an issue there. Our children are sick and they've got all sorts of health issues. That's got to suggest that conventional wisdom is not working. Absolutely. Um, you know, and so we've talked about autism, we've talked about infant mortality. One of the studies that just blows my mind, it actually came out in 2007. Um, it was published, it's called the National Survey of Children's Health. And this was a, a study funded by um, the Department of Health and Human Resources. So they surveyed the parents of about 82,000 American children. And they asked them all sorts of questions about what diagnosis their children had. And the result is that 54.1% of American children are either obese, have, have developmental delay, or one of 20 chronic illnesses, which means that if you have a child in our country, in the United States of America, the odds are stacked against you. It is more likely that your child will be sick than healthy. And I think that's a very frightening place. It should be very frightening to parents in the United States. There has what to be a better way than... Pardon me? What study was this? The National Survey of Children's Health. That is crazy. That is insane. It's one of the largest studies ever, so uh, we have more sick than healthy children in our country. And when was that study? Uh, 2007. The results of it have been slowly released. Um, I think that particular statistic came from, I think, 2010. 
Okay, from 2010. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see updated numbers from, the, from a study like that. Because um, that really is, if you're having children today, right, and how many of us have two kids or three kids or four kids, at least 50% of your kids are going to have chronic issues, health issues. That's right. crazy. And it's kind of like the old saying, if you do what everybody else does, you're probably going to get what everybody else gets. I don't know about you, but, you know, if I um, if I took my car to a mechanic <laughs> and something was wrong and things didn't get better and my car had more problems a few months later, I'd never take my car back. <laughs> so sometimes we're, you know, we we don't hold uh, the health care system in our country accountable like we should. This should cause outrage that we've invested so much in the health care system and this is what we have to show for it. You talk about in your DVD environmental and dietary toxins. So not only are we getting sick from the vaccines and our systems are being um, compromised when we are sick by taking antibiotics, there are so many toxins that we're breathing or that are in our environment, uh, in our food. Speak about those. Sure. Well, the state of our environment is is basically a disaster at best. There are now more than 80,000 new chemicals that circulate in consumer products since the rise of the petrochemical industry. Very few of them, however, have ever been tested for toxicity. This is something that affects each and every one of us. Um, There was a study conducted where they sampled human fat tissue here in the United States, and they found an average of 700 chemical contaminants. So this is probably likely what you and I could be carrying around. So babies, infants, newborns, are, are really at a huge disadvantage from the day that they're born. In fact, the Environmental Working Group uh, took blood samples from newborns, and they found, on average, 287 toxins in their cord blood. We're talking about from the minute that they're born. Um, the cord blood from just, you know, the, the blood that they have from being inside mom for almost 10 months. They found an average of 287 toxins, including mercury, fire retardants, pesticides, and Teflon chemicals. Now, of these 287 chemicals that they detected, 180 um, cause cancer in humans or animals, 217 are toxic to the brain and nervous system, and 208 cause birth defects or abnormal development in animal trials. So, I mean, it's just, you know, we have to really, in this day and age, be handle childhood and infancy so delicately because these babies are being born with challenges that we absolutely never had, you know, 100 years ago in our uh, population. And so really detoxification and and avoiding harmful chemical exposures has to be the highlight of promoting health care, really for each and every one of us. And so there have been peer-reviewed studies that have actually shown that there are certain chemicals linked to problems like autism in children. So it really astounds me every time that I hear on the evening news that there's no known cause for autism. We have no idea what causes autism. But if you look at the peer-reviewed journals, you you see quite a different picture. And so one of those uh, classes of chemicals are uh, something called phthalates. They're a major environmental group of toxins that are linked to not only autism and other neurological disorders, but also abnormal sexual development and cancers. And uh, so phthalates are used in our plastics, and so plastic in our society is a big problem. And so that's kind of a whole conversation in itself, but pesticides have also been linked um, to autism, directly to autism. And there's been research conducted showing that um, children exposed before or after birth to pesticides had more than twice the risk of developing autism. 
And they've also done studies in agricultural areas where they look at where uh, mothers are living and mothers living within 500 meters of fields where these pesticides are used for more than six times as likely to have a child with autism. So there are chemical exposures that we know directly impact childhood health. And so these are things that really every parent needs to be aware of. And if you think about those pesticides, where are they being used? They're being used on our food supply. Absolutely. And the food supply that we ingest and that we eat. Absolutely. So, that's so really attack. Yes. And so, you know, we really have to have a focus on organic pesticide-free foods. Uh, we can't expect to feed our children these chemicals as well as all the GMO products and expect them to have a good, healthy outcome. There was a statistic that a guest um, on our show had, um, I think, in the last month or two months, where it's expected today uh, out of every male adult, one out of two will um, get cancer, and adult females, one out of three. Is that consistent with your research and your findings? Absolutely. That is exactly the statistic that that I've seen, very sadly. And what about our children and cancer rates? You know, I know that uh, childhood and pediatric cancers have just skyrocketed. Uh, You know, my mother says that back in, like, the 40s, 50s, well, she was born in the late 50s, but in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, to hear about a child with cancer was, you know, unbelievable. Similar to hearing about a child with autism. There might be one handicapped child in a whole school. And very often that was cerebral palsy or, or some, you know, other type of retardation or, or um, disability. And so now, of course, those numbers have just skyrocketed, and now it's hard to find a classroom without one child with autism. And pediatric cancers have just skyrocketed right along. Well, there are whole um, departments in schools for de- developmental um but for children that have developmental issues and have autism and um, special ed, and I mean, there's millions and billions of dollars uh, in, in programs in our school system for these children. So it's not it's not the one-off child that's got it. There there is a whole population of children that have these issues, and when you think about the cost um, to society, the cost. Um, you know, from a family perspective, the amount of energy that it takes um, to treat these children, the loss of potential in these children from a community standpoint, from a society standpoint, um, not just autism, but all of these health issues. Um, think about what happens when your child is sick um, and can't go to school, how that affects the family, how that affects the community. It's, it's just crazy. It's really the most devastating thing that our country has ever seen. You know, we're just now learning about what the lifetime uh, care for a child or growing into adult with autism costs, and it's about, they estimate, $5 million. And so if you can imagine, you know, a lot of uh, times you'll hear in the media that autism rates have always been the same as they are today. It was just, you know, better diagnosing that we have now. And you know that that is absolutely false because nowhere on the face of the earth can we find an adult population in which one in 68 is autistic. We don't have the facilities in place. We have nothing ready for this generation of children now reaching the, the early part of adulthood uh, that will that one day, you know, I hear, I've heard many times from parents of autistic children that their biggest nightmare is what will happen to my child when I'm gone. Who's going to take care of my child who will be an adult with autism? 
It's just devastating. We have no idea what's coming in the next generations if this trend does not change. So what's the good news? I believe the good news, and I always have hope that the trend is changing. You know, I'm hearing about more and more communities becoming better educated. Um, There are more and more communities in which the rate of vaccine exemption is rising, and there are more and more communities in which there are parents becoming educated about bringing organic natural products into the home and getting back to the basics, the way that Mother Nature designed it, the way that Mother Nature intended it, you know, life to go uh, from the time of birth on into adulthood. And so I do have hope that, that people are becoming more educated and that, that this trend can can change in our country. And what support do you think um, our parents out there can reach out and find and, and try to start? Like where where would they start? Well, when well, it comes I, to raising I'd say parents, your website would be one, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. And Doctor will also link your website and uh, recording of the show on the livingwealthyradio.com website. Thank you for uh, coming on the show today and um, wish it was a little bit more uplifting, but I think if you're armed with information, then you've got a fighting chance. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Take care. This is Teresa Kuhn with Living Wealthy Radio. Check us out at livingwealthyradio.com. You've been listening to Living Wealthy Radio on Talk 1370 and streaming live at talk1370.com. I'm Teresa Kuhn, and I hope you'll join me again next week as I show you ways to live wealthier. Resources are available for you on our website at livingwealthyradio.com. If you're a business owner who wants to sell your successful company, then you need to pay careful attention to what I'm about to tell you. Selling a business in today's crazy-making economy is not for the faint of heart. A successful sale requires courage, resolve, and a big pair of um, free selling tools. Get your free risk analysis tool and special report today from the only company that can help you sell your business in 49 days or less and pay zero taxes. Go to www.deltabusinessservices.com forward slash exit coach to download yours today. That's www.deltabusinessservices.com or call us at 210-369-4161. Tell them the guy with the sexy voice sent you. What if there was a place where your hard-earned cash could grow safely and sanely without being pilfered by bankers, Wall Street, tax collectors, or other persons of dubious character. A place where you could say no to the motion sickness-inducing ups and downs of the stock market. Where you didn't have to grovel on your hands and knees every time you wanted to borrow money from some tight-fisted banker who collects all your private data and then turns you down. Such a world sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Well, 
it isn't. All you need to do is call toll-free right now and ask for your Living Wealthy Financial Information Packet. It costs nothing and it will tell you exactly what you need to do to chart a more prosperous financial course and take back what belongs to you. So, do it. Call right now. 1-800-382-0830 That's 1-800-382-0830 Or visit our website at www.livingwealthyfinancial.com You'll be glad you did.